Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 26, we talk about growing up with music, and we talk to Allison Shinnick about instilling a love of creativity through music lessons. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. Tim, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Drew. How about yourself? Not too bad. We talked with Allison this week about a lot about piano lessons and things like that. And so that obviously got me thinking about kind of my path growing up. But let's start with you, Tim. What what was your musical journey growing up? Yeah, so ever since I was young, I mean, I grew up in the church, so I I learned hymns and I learned the songs of the liturgy and things like that. But I want to say it was about second or third grade was the first time I started taking piano lessons. I don't remember if it was something that I necessarily wanted to do or not, but I think all of us boys did. And I took them for a few years and, you know, I got through a couple of those levels. It was the classic, the piano books with the three blocks on the front. I think it was called Bastion Piano Basics. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. So I remember getting through like the third or fourth of those books and then stopping even before I was done with middle school. And then I just, I don't know, for some reason I was like, I don't think I ever want to do this. I can't really, I was never really good at reading music, especially for two hands on a piano. So I'm like, well, I guess that's kind of the end of my piano. I mean, I've done uh, other lessons when I was in elementary and middle school. I took snare drum lessons, oboe lessons, and uh, trumpet lessons to try to at least I can learn one line of music at a time as opposed to, you know, playing with two hands was more difficult for me. But then when I decided that I was going to go to Martin Luther College in high school, I decided that. And I knew that at MLC, you have to take piano lessons if you're going to study education. So I re-entered piano lessons the second semester of my senior year of high school. And the teacher I had was just wonderful. Like she did a really good job of saying, here's what you're going to be learning in piano lessons at MLC, which was including trying to play hymns. And that's tricky for me because, again, as a person who can't really read music very well, as far as two parts go, I I mean, she just very much empowered me and taught me how to do that. So it got me very much prepared, and I was able to get into intermediate piano lessons in college. So, yeah, that's kind of my story, Drew. How about you? Mine is one very much of stubbornness. I, like you, Tim, grew up in a house that was just filled with music, you know, always listening to it or singing along to the radio or whatever it was, or singing hymns, things like that. So when I was, I believe it was second grade, I started piano lessons. My mom was my teacher. And sorry, mom, but I like, I just hated it. <laughs> I like, it, it was probably just, you know, it was a lot of hard work. And as a kid, you don't like doing things that are hard. So she eventually let me quit after a year or two, I believe. But then when I got to fifth grade, uh, then I started learning trombone and once again was stubborn as far, especially as far as the lessons went a little confession time here. Like we had a weekly lesson with a, a band director from the local high school and I would always like forget quote unquote when my lesson time was so that by the time he had to come get me from the classroom, then I wouldn't have as much time that I had to actually go and be in the lesson with him. Sorry, Mr. Helke. Um, <laughs> but 
my parents didn't let me quit trombone. I stuck with it all through high school and eventually learned to enjoy it quite a bit. But also then when I was in high school, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I got into ska music and I originally got into it because it was music that I thought was really cool that I could play on trombone. Then the more I got into it, the more I wanted to also play guitar so I could like sing and play the songs and everything. So I started teaching myself guitar with a little help from my dad. And just kind of kept going with that through through college and then till now, really. And I think, you know, part of it was just it was something that allowed me to play the music I wanted to play. Like it wasn't, well, you know, if you really want to master the basics of piano, you just kind of have to go through some some boring stuff and play some songs you don't really like. But with guitar and with me teaching myself I was able to push myself as quickly or slowly as I wanted to, to, to really learn the songs that I wanted to learn how to play. And I think that went a long way. Yeah. And I think that's a very good thing as far as individualized lessons go. When you can encourage your students to specifically pursue something they're interested in, as opposed to just, well, this is what's in the book. So you have to do it. I think that actually helps them to be more creative and to think outside of the box. And that goes really well with our conversation we had with Allison this week about individualized music lessons and how she uses them to instill creativity in her students. Let's get to that interview now. Today, we are pleased to welcome Allison Shinnick to the podcast. Welcome, Allison. Hello. Allison, could you give a brief synopsis of who you are and what you do for our listeners? Absolutely. As you said, I'm Allison Shinnick, and I currently live in Princeton, New Jersey, where I teach at the New School for Music Study, which is a community music school where I teach students ages five through adult in both private settings and group settings. I've lived in Princeton for about three years. Before that, I spent two years doing my master's in piano performance in Kansas City, Missouri. And before that, I lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, where I grew up and where I attended Lawrence University for my undergrad degrees. Awesome. So you you mentioned you do a lot of teaching piano lessons, and I think that's something that a lot of people have some familiarity within their background, but you were recommended to us as someone that integrates a certain amount of creativity in their teaching. How, how have you been able to do that? What are some things that you do that you think are a little bit different than maybe what most people have experienced? Well, I hope to incorporate creativity. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. <laughs> well, I had a very interesting background as a piano student myself. I grew up in the Yamaha program, which is a very musicianship-based approach. Um, so lots of singing, solfege, listening, improvisation, composition. And so that was my background as a student. And then I, in high school is kind of when I transitioned very much into the classical music realm. And so now I'm in a position where I'm teaching students in a a more quote-unquote traditional approach, not so much in this music appreciation approach. And so it's very easy to fall into a pattern of making sure that my students can read music and are they learning their pieces correctly for their exam or that kind of thing. And as pianists, we we tend to be very anal, um, particular people and don't really... I don't know if it's just not natural for us to leave room for creativity because we want to check all our boxes. So even though my background was very creative, I find it very challenging as a teacher to incorporate creativity into my lessons. So I do some different kinds of composition exercises with my students and some improvisation. But for me, I like to use the music that I'm teaching my students, whether it's 
a folk song from their method book or a Beethoven sonata. I like to use their music as the launching pad for the creativity. And whether that's talking about the history of, of the piece and the composer and understanding the that composer's worldview and how that might have affected what they wrote and getting into the mind of the composer, I think that gives us a ton of room for creativity as musicians. I've also been thinking a lot about how I can encourage my students to think creatively and independently instead of just spoon feeding them the music that they'll learn and choosing the music for them or or choosing exactly how they're going to articulate this passage or express this passage. And so I, I really like to give my students as many experiences in their lessons as possible, whether that's introducing a new rhythm with a funny movement activity, or it's experimenting with five different ways of shaping a certain phrase. I think just those little moments can really open up the creative mind in an otherwise very strict environment as piano students. Yeah, I think uh, speaking as someone who has a pretty uh, stereotypical story of I started piano lessons in first grade because my mom <laughs> said I had to, and I ended up hating it because of just how formulaic and boxed in it was. What are some things that, whether it's you as a piano teacher or parents who want to encourage their, their kids or whoever it may be to help them get past the the this is just a lot of hard work and practice and it's no fun and to really just instill that love of creativity in music. What what can people be doing? Well, I think it's hard because music is a lot of hard work. And um, I find so often that my students are, are not ready to work and don't, don't realize that that's necessary. So I think there are two sides to the question that when you decide that you want your, your child or your students to learn music, there has to be an expectation of that hard work because that lays the groundwork for creativity. If you don't have any facility at your instrument, it's it's hard to be creative and improvise or learn different skills. So I think that has to be an expectation. On the other hand, I see in our society that we are becoming so much more of a passive society in music that we were interested in listening to music and attending concerts perhaps but not so much in participating in it on our own. And I just read an article on Facebook this morning about millennials and millennials not singing lullabies to their children and how this has a negative effect. I, I grew up in a family that was very musical and singing was a part of our everyday. And there was just an expectation that we would all take piano lessons as well. But music was really just a part of our everyday and singing together and listening to music together. And I think that's that's the key, that we need to be making music as as a community and as a society in order to to awaken creativity. I also see in my students something very interesting. Princeton, New Jersey is a very academic city, a very affluent city but not a very religious city. So very few of my students have any kind of church affiliation and they don't experience music because they are not in a worship service every week where you sing hymns or where, or where they sing in a church choir or something like that. And I think that is so sad that music, because, because we see a decline in, in church attendance, we also see a decline in participatory music in our country. And so we as Christians have such a lovely opportunity to be participating in music in our worship every week. And 
And so I, I love to see this with my, my brother and his children in that they sing hymns at home every night before bedtime. And so my three-year-old niece knows the words five, five verses long to these hymns. <laughs> and I, I love that. And that's very much what our childhood was like. But I think that that's quite abnormal today. So that kind of music making within the family is what really lays the groundwork for, for musicians to be built up in lessons. You had mentioned that you teach kids through adults. So it's not just specifically like the younger kids or not just necessarily high schoolers. Right. Do you see a difference in the different ages, whether it's with younger kids or, or adults where they can, they're naturally more creative as opposed to, you know, being whatever society tells them to be? I certainly do. I think my favorite age to teach is third or fourth grade because the, the students are old enough that con- concepts are not challenge- as challenging for them, and they often are big enough kids that they can handle the instrument, yet they are still children, and they're still so excited by the world and willing to experiment and be goofy and think outside the box. I challenge, I'm challenged probably the most with my middle school and early high school students uh, because they really care what other people think, and they want to be cool, and... And there are so many challenges in just communicating with them. And so I've, I've been working on some different approaches. I mean, as we're talking about different tone quality or different phrasing ideas and things like that in lessons, giving them space to think for themselves and not, not handing it straight to them. And I, I've, I have seen with my high school students, actually, that come out of that then. By the time they're seniors, they, they tend to be a little bit more creative and willing to be, be vulnerable in their lessons and in their music making. I also see in my adult students a wide variety of willingness to be creative. I think it depends on past experience in music. I have one adult student who's out of quite a beginner level. She's had a couple of years of lessons, but um, she hasn't progressed very far. And she has so many inhibitions at the instrument and nev- doesn't, doesn't want to count out loud, doesn't want to sing along. Even though she has had some musical experiences in her background, I think we just have different challenges with adults who are coming to music maybe later in life. And that's challenging to, co- to come up with ways to, to find the way in for creative expression. But back to my point about the the hard work being the the groundwork, (laughs) laying the groundwork for creativity, I have found in particular with my adult students a frustration with needing to do things multiple times to really master them. Because as an adult, you understand something conceptually the first time it's, it's explained to you, but you can't expect your body to do it necessarily the first time. And so um, with this one student, I've made a big point the last couple of weeks of you need to practice this passage, these four measures, four times in a row, and then try this, add this layer on or whatever. And she really digs her heels in about over that. But it's after she's really put those, put those pieces in place that we're able to start expressing and experimenting with all different kinds of things. So I don't know. This is why I love teaching all different ages, because you, you really get to see the creative process as we go through life. Sure. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit, and this problem may be more unique to those of us who have grown up in the wells, but another thing that or struggle I've seen with some people is that when they start learning piano, that one of the first things they try to learn is how to play hymns, which, you know, has its merits and everything, but then can also be quite difficult depending which hymns you're learning and so on. <laughs> but, but also just this idea that like, 
that the reason I'm learning this instrument is building towards that I'm going to play it in church or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly nothing inherently wrong with that, but that might not necessarily be for everybody. Do you have thoughts on that? I sure do. I grew up in a church that had several wonderful organists, so there was no need for me to play when I was a child. But my my mom made a point of all of uh, my siblings and I learning learning how to play hymns. And we actually took extra lessons with with an organist so that we could learn how to play hymns <laughs> properly on the piano. My mom is an organist and she's a pastor's kid. So she was very, very much in support of us being prepared for whatever situations right. we would find ourselves in later in life. So I think in about fourth or fifth grade, I started playing hymns. And that was something that I liked to sight read at home. And that was great for my musical development as well. But I don't think I, I don't remember the first time I played a whole service. It wasn't until high school and it wasn't even at my own home congregation because we didn't have a need. But I agree that hymn playing is actually extremely challenging and to do it well is is really not an elementary or even intermediate step as a musician. And so I feel a bit torn on that because there if if you know that that you want to to play for worship, absolutely learn how to play the piano. But you have to be aware that you're not going to just jump in and be able to play four-part hymns right away. I think there are, there are ways to reduce hymns to, to make them more playable for smaller hands or for less experienced pianists. But that's that's a whole nother ballgame. It's, it's interesting because in my teaching situation here, I've been here three years, and I've never had a student have something that they needed to play in church. And that's just the community I live in. So I haven't had to deal with that with my younger students and how to teach playing hymns. Though we, we encounter those hymn textures within pieces, and often those are just very challenging because you have, you know, you think of it as, as a chordal structure, but all your fingers are going in all different directions and you need to hear the melody and what <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> so I, th- I think it's really challenging. So I, I don't know if I have have even really any advice for what how people should approach it, but I think sometimes people just think that it's going to be simple and easy because oh well it's just a bunch of quarter notes and a half notes, <laughs> but it's <laughs> I, but I don't think it is. <laughs> Do you feel that whether it's leadership within the church or parents or whoever the case may be that there's too much pressure to always be using your your gifts whether it be piano or or guitar or whatever it may be in a worship setting i'm not sure that i think there's too much pressure because i think we should all be willing and open to using the gifts that the lord has given us in worship and in all different kinds of settings and i think that there is a wonderful opportunity in using our youth in the church as well. I first accompanied a choir when I was in eighth grade, our junior choir at our church. And that has been, accompanying choirs has become my absolute favorite thing to do in my life. And I sometimes forget that my first experience doing that was at church. And that's because I was in a position where I was advanced enough to do that and and someone sought me out. And I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity. So I think that we should absolutely offer people the option to use their gifts in worship. But just because we're creative people and just because we have musical gifts doesn't mean that our place to use those gifts must be in the church. I found in my life that playing in church and being parts of worship teams has been really meaningful and a a great way that I've been able to serve different congregations that I've been a part of. But because it's also my work... I 
actually prefer to find other ways to serve my church because I am more than just a pianist. I have other gifts and because piano and music is what I do as my occupation, it's also my passion and my hobby, but um, <laughs> that's how I spend all day, every day. I, I like to kind of tap into the other gifts that I have in, within my congregation. I think there's also just a struggle, and I went through this, in maybe it, maybe it isn't pressure necessarily from, from people within the congregation or leadership in the church, but I at least had this internally that I wondered, well, here I am as a musician, and if I'm teaching or playing concerts, how am I really a part of a part of God's work? How am I really a part doing my part for the kingdom? And I I went through some soul searching at the end of college of whether or not pursuing a degree in piano performance was selfish or worthwhile. And I really came to the conclusion with some input from some really beloved mentors that my personal mission field is not within the church and that I have a really special opportunity to dig into the lives of my students and their families and, and be a Christian in the world. And music is my opportunity to, to express myself both in and outside of the church. But as musicians and as just creative people, we're dealing with, with issues of the heart all the time. And in my conversations with my students, I get to help them think deeply about life and about expression. And while that doesn't necessarily lead us directly into a conversation about faith, it gets their wheels turning. And I'm, I'm in a position where I don't have to be shy about my own faith. I very openly talk about when I've played in church and about, about different life experiences and, and make sure that that's never hidden. And I, have really loved this opportunity to be a part of the arts community, both in my teaching and just and in my professional playing and working with other arts organizations that who I am as a Christian is, is who I am. <laughs> and what I do is music. And I, I think it's a, a really special opportunity to be out in the world. So I've gone on a tangent, but <laughs> to bring it back to your to your question, I think we should absolutely encourage people to play in church and to use their gifts. But I I don't think that we should make people feel boxed in, as in that's the only place they can and should use their gifts as musicians. Well, Allison, we definitely want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you guys. Is there anything that you would like to promote or things that are coming up either within your community or groups or things that you're a part of? Sure. One of the things that I get to do working at the New School for Music Study is be a part of a larger teacher organization called the Francis Clark Center for Keyboard Pedagogy. And since I know a lot of people that maybe listen to this podcast are piano teachers, whether that's your main profession or something you do on the side, we have a lot of resources available to piano teachers. And I'm very passionate about that because I've gone, I've pursued piano as my, my occupation and as my calling and done my master's in piano, piano performance. But I realized that there are a lot of people in the world that maybe don't have that education, but love the piano and want to teach piano. So I'd encourage you to look at claviercompanion.com and there you can see various information that's available to the, the public, but also we have subscriptions available for our magazine, the Piano Magazine, and webin a webinar series that I actually head up 
with master pedagogues and teachers from across the country. And if you are a piano teacher, whether that's just in, in your home or in your church or in a community music school, it's a really great opportunity to connect with other teachers and just get a lot of ideas for how to teach creatively and to teach well and effectively. I'd encourage everybody to check that out. And we'll be sure to post that link in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Allison. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. This is your last reminder, your last chance to register for Hearts and Hands. By the time this podcast airs, you will have one week left before the event. Register right now at wellscreatives.com slash register. And be sure to check us out on social media at Wells Creatives and reach out to us through email at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, that's a direct way to get to us. Also, thank you for your support, both by listening and by helping us keep the show running. You can do that at patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. There you can gain access to uncut episodes and other features. We thank you for those who have already done so and will continue to do so in the future. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>